A huge thank you to Neon, our favourite New Zealand streaming service, for making this episode of Culture Vulture possible. everybody and welcome to another episode of Culture Vulture. As always, I'm joined by Liv. Liv. Kia ora, everyone. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. It is hilarious because Lucy is sat opposite me with her sunglasses on because she forgot her glasses. So I can't actually see those beautiful blue eyes of hers. So. You can't see my emotion. <laughs> no, like, oh, can you? Because I'm sorry. <laughs> You're cool as a cucumber, honestly. Oh, so today, everybody, we have a banger of an episode in store, like usual, but possibly better than the rest, because, Liv, I'm going to start off with a really good naughty or nice, because Zayn Malik and Gigi Hadid and Yolanda have had a bit of a tip. Yes, I have stopped myself from reading about it, because I'm really excited for you to tell me everything that's gone on. I know. Sounds pretty wild. I know, and then we have a few other little stories in there, but Liv, who is the main event today? The main event today, Luce, is Ted Lasso. Oh, I've been wanting to talk about Ted Lasso on this pod for at least <laughs> I'm pretty, three weeks or however long it's been since I've seen it. I'm pretty sure we have actually talked about him a couple of times. Actually, yeah, I get yeah. emails to the newsletter being like, I watched Ted Lasso because you and Liv wouldn't stop talking about him. Absolutely, oh, really but excited. we're really excited to sort of dive deep into everything Ted Lasso today. Um, yes. So our producer is actually going to have to step out of the room because of it, because he's only up to episode five. So we've got to <laughs> make sure that we don't spoil the entire series for him. I know. Luckily, we actually for once spoke to him before the podcast and <laughs> let him know that we were talking about Ted Lasso. And he was like, oh, y'all mind if I leave? <laughs> we're like, please do. We do not want to ruin it. It's the best show ever. So maybe this is your spoiler alert. Now, Liv, what thing... Cultural or not cultural, carrot or not carrot, <laughs> describes your week. Carrot or not carrot. Oh my God. Okay. Well, my thing last week was very out the gate. So I'm toning it back down. And the thing that describes my week is the book Apples Never Fall by Leanne Moriarty yes. because it's all I've been consuming this week. It has honestly gotten me through. Um, For anyone who doesn't know who Leanne Moriarty is, she wrote the best-selling book um, Big Little Lies. It was made into a TV show by Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman. And honestly, fantastic. I'm sure a lot of you have heard of it, but she's an Australian author and this is her ninth book. Holy shit. Yeah. So she's written a lot. All of them are fantastic. Um, Bar Nine Perfect Strangers. Yeah, look, but that was written... After they decided it was going to be made into a TV show. Yeah, so they, well, yeah, that's the rumour. Exactly. So she, she wrote it wrong. She wrote it wrong. Great TV show, though. Mm, mm, Nicole Kidman, Russian. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, that book is really, really fantastic. If you're into tennis, oh. I would recommend. Um, yeah, what about you, Luce? Okay, so the thing that consumed my week. <laughs> you look so sheepish. Like, are you ready for it's this? Because I rung you while I was listening to this. The thing that consumed my week is the word hullabaloo. Oh, no, stop it. <laughs> okay, so a little bit of background on this. Liv and I are, like, completely obsessed with Jack and Falcon um, from the Inspired Unemployed are, like, our celebrity crushes. <laughs> yes. Celebrities? Just crushes. Celebrities. Celebrities, yeah. yeah. Yeah, inspired unemployed crushes. Anyway, 
they have a podcast and it's really fucking funny, mostly because they don't really know a lot of words. And so there's a part of their podcast where they have to guess the definition of words. And there was just this absolutely phenomenal interaction that as I was listening to it out on a walk, I had to ring Liv and say, have you heard this? And obviously she had because she's across things. <laughs> I was the refreshing night. the fucking podcast feed yeah. on the Tuesday night being like, it's meant to be here. Yeah, it's meant to be my fucking, what is it, a feed? Yeah. Anyway, irrelevant. <laughs> so the word that they were given to describe was hullabaloo. And the first thing that Jack said was like, oh, is it a type of halloumi? <laughs> like the cheese? And then Falcon thought that it meant hallelujah in another language. <laughs> oh, no, this is so good. Then Jack thought that it meant moist. Oh, and then yeah. Falcon thought it was a type of hat. <laughs> and then after it got used in a sentence, like, remember all the hullabaloo over the golf ball? <laughs> Jack said Jew. No, Falcon said Jew. <laughs> like, it's in like, the water all over the golf ball. <laughs> and then Jack said <laughs> and like for anyone wondering, hullabaloo means like a commotion or a fuss, like all the hullabaloo. <laughs> no, my favorite bit was when was when Matt was like, um, oh, I think it's what was it in a different language? Hullabaloo. No, oh. Oh, no, hallelujah in a different language. <laughs> <laughs> the guy Dom that was like, you know, mediating this exchange was like, this is an English dictionary. <laughs> like, why would I be giving you don't even know English words? Why would I be giving you <laughs> yeah. one in another language? Exactly. <laughs> so, um, and the week has been a bit of a hullabaloo. There's been a bit of commotion in the ocean. <laughs> always a bit of commotion always in the ocean. Commotion. And those two absolutely add to it. So, Luce, you are on Naughty or Nice this week. I'm so excited to hear about what's been happening, you know, around the celebrity world. Okay, well. There's only one story that I really wanted to talk about that's really sort of consumed the feeds this week, or at least for the like last part of the week, and that was that at the end of last week, reports surfaced alleging that Zayn Malik had struck Gigi Hadid's mother Yolanda at his home while Gigi was out of town. According to the police report, Zayn allegedly grabbed Yolanda and shoved her into a dresser, causing mental anguish and physical pain. He also allegedly said to Gigi over the phone, strap on some fucking balls and defend your partner against your fucking mother in my house. Now, these are all alleged claims Mm -hmm. at the moment, and apparently Yolanda is the one that released this to TMZ or released this to the press. So in response to these allegations, Zayn has pleaded no contest to four counts of harassment and pleading no contest is like similar to a guilty plea, but it's not a guilty plea. It just means you're not contesting the, the charges against you. But he did post this statement to Twitter. As you all know, I am a private person and I very much want to create a safe and private space for my daughter to grow up in, a place where private family matters aren't thrown on the world stage for all to poke and pick apart. In an effort to protect that space for her, I agreed not to contest claims arising from an argument I had with a family member of my partner's who entered our home while my partner was away several weeks ago. This was and still should be a private matter. And then essentially he says that at the moment he just wants to create a peaceful environment for him to co-parent his daughter and that this has been leaked to the press. He is hopeful though for healing for all involved with the harsh words shared and more importantly he wishes to remain vigilant to protect Kai, who's the daughter, and give her the privacy she deserves. 
So, since he pleaded no contest, Zayn has now agreed to serve 360 days on probation and complete anger management domestic violence programs and sever ties with Yolanda, Gigi's mother. And sources do say that he and Gigi um, split up, but they'd split up over a month ago. So before this... Holy shit. I know. So this is a really, really interesting story because I went on Twitter to get a bit of a pulse check of how this was being received, received, Mm -hmm. expecting that – well, not really expecting what I saw. So I went on Twitter and the way that people responded was really to put the hate and the blame on Yolanda and to – sort of defend Zane and protect Zane. Now, obviously, all the claims are sort of he said, she said allegations, even though he did plead no contest. But basically on Twitter, like, old videos were resurfacing of Yolanda and she was, like, picking at what Gigi was eating and, like, really trying to frame her as a bully. And so, like, everyone was sort of defending Zane and saying that, you know, Yolanda's um, leaked stuff before. Oh, like being like she might have made it up. She might have. Yeah, well, that's what they're insinuating because she doesn't like Zane. But I just think when we're having this conversation, it's really important to remember that this is actually a domestic violence claim. Absolutely. And like, we don't know if it's true or if it's false. But what we do know is that it's really fucking important not to minimize what's happened, especially if it's true. But even if like we don't know and to just blindly sort of defend Zane. I mean, I'm a huge One Direction fan. I'm the first one to want to see things, especially with that band, like in a (laughs) good light. But when I saw that everyone was only defending Zane and like the quick pulse check that I took, I was like, oh, there's actually a bigger conversation here. And it's not about your favourite boy band member, really. Yeah, that's very interesting. Do you think it's to do with like your echo chamber? Well, no, because I searched... Like, yeah. I searched Zane and... Rather than just seeing what was coming up on your feed. Oh, yeah, yeah. This wasn't through what was going on on my feed. This was, like, just searching different terms to see what other people were thinking. So interesting because Yolanda... I don't know much about her. She was on... Um, Real Housewives, Real Housewives of, of Beverly Hills. Okay. Really, really interesting because, I mean, like, from afar, they look like a relatively close family, mm. the Hadids. Mm. But she has always been quite particular about her daughters. Yeah. So, I mean... She's I'm, very in the public eye, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah. And she she She, she seems it. to love it. So this story is really quite interesting. I kind of hope for all of them that it just comes... Like, nothing else arises from it. Like, and it's just so awful for their daughter. Because they keep their daughter quite private, yeah, don't they? faceless. Like, mm-hmm. they'll post stuff about her, but it's never her face. And except for, I think, some leaked photos, which no one knows where they came from. Right. So, anyway, this whole story is obviously naughty. Naughty. It's, it's not Yeah, it's there's not, not really anything not nice, nice about it, is no, it? there's nothing nice about not it. Not at all. Oh, that's pretty horrific. I know. But it's really interesting that he he had no contest. Like you'd think that if it wasn't true, you'd I don't know. I think if I think if he had pleaded not guilty, then it would have been turned into a much bigger case. I think I mean, I'm not a lawyer. They obviously had yeah. like really great lawyers involved in it. But yeah, no, it is interesting. My next story, um, and I only put this story in here because naughty or nice is sort of Christmassy, like naughty or nice list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is about Will Ferrell turning down a $29 million US dollar deal for ALF 2. Now, Liv, <laughs> have you seen ALF before? I have seen ALF, but it's 
like a long, long time ago. It's definitely not one of my go-to Christmas movies. No, neither. But I think for a lot of people it is. So the idea of an Elf 2 was quite exciting to fans. Oh, yeah. But Will actually said that the script was so bad that, like, he couldn't imagine himself saying the words that they'd written and he wouldn't be able to promote it from an honest place. Good on him, creative integrity. Literally. Like, I, I read a um, quote from him that was talking about how, how at the start, he was like, well, I'm not going to turn down a $29 million deal. Like, right. and that's in US dollars, so I don't know. That's Holy Heaps fuck. of millions in New Zealand dollars. <laughs> that's a lot of New Zealand and millions. Then, and then he was like, actually... I cannot promote this because it's going to be shit. And I just thought, good for you, Will Ferrell. That's Christmassy and you're on the nice list. Absolutely good for you, Will Ferrell. I actually, this was going to be on my radar, but then I found something else. Um, But there's a movie coming out this month with Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd. Oh, my God. What's it, like half of Anchorman? It's just (laughs) called Anchor. Basically. (laughs) No, but it seems to be, like, serious. (laughs) Anchor child. <laughs> Two and a half anchor. <laughs> Even actually, our producer's it's loving. Called, it's just called The Shrink Next Door. Oh, so, yeah. oh that was an anti-climate. Maybe they should like get me in. Yeah, they should you should have been in the writer's room, absolutely. But um yeah, I thought that but I think he plays quite a serious character and I've never seen him play a serious character. Are you a Will Ferrell fan? I actually am only because yeah. of Step Brothers. Yeah. Can't vouch for many other things no. that he's done, but Step Brothers, like my live or die for that movie. Right, Liv. So after the break, I am very excited because I've got so many fun facts about Ted Lasso just like bubbling out of me. But first, let's hear from this week's sponsors. Now, Liv, being in lockdown in Auckland, we have literally got all the time in the world just to watch TV, obviously. And lucky for me, Neon is releasing new episodes of Succession, which is my favourite show ever, every week. Yes, it is, Luce. So exciting. And also, I just saw that Promising Young Woman is on there and that's such a fucking good movie, so I'm so keen to rewatch it. And Bo Burnham is in that movie. Love him. Don't love his character. Oh, no, no, no. Love him. Oh, I'm definitely going to watch with you. Absolutely. And in case you couldn't tell, Neon is our favourite New Zealand-based streaming service and the best part is you can get a 14-day free trial to test it out. And none of this would be possible without Neon, who let us chat about pop culture as a part of our job, which is just the best fucking thing ever. So shot, Neon. Thank you, Neon. We love ya. Radio, so now for the meat of the episode. I'm actually so fucking excited. Same. I was smiling the whole time I was researching for this. I know. It was such a fun thing to research. Um, You know, when you like look into something after you've watched it, it just makes it so much better and you just want to go back and rewatch it all over again? No, literally. When I was writing down my favourite moments, I was like, no, there's got to be more. I have to go and watch it again. Oh, absolutely. So I'm just going to go through the plot line, some of the characters, some of the major themes and takeaways that we, you know, sort of grabbed from the show. And then, Luce, you're going to... I've got 10, and and I didn't even plan for there to be 10, but I just put them in numbers before, and there was perfectly 10, some, like, fun facts or weird facts that you might not know about the show. And to be honest... Sometimes when you do fun facts, they're dumb. These are not dumb. And then I also just have all my favourite bits. But look, I'm sure I'll interject with them throughout. I love that caveating. Caveating? Caviation. (laughs) Just a bit of caviation there. (laughs) What does that mean, inspired, unemployed? Oh, my God. (laughs) But, you know, like being like, they're not dumb. 
fun facts. Way, guys, they're not dumb fun facts. They're really good ones. They're really fucking good, so you better stick around. Liv, take us away with the plot, will you? I absolutely will. So Ted Lasso, for those who haven't seen it, I'm sure you have seen it if you're listening to this, but I'm just going to give a very brief run through anyway. It's a TV show developed by Jason Sudeikis, Bill Lawrence, Brendan Hunt, and Joe Kelly that follows Richmond Football Club soccer for those of you who are American Kiwi, we call it soccer here. But I'm going to call it football for the rest of the time. Thank you. My little brother calls it football. He, he went through that transition from soccer to football. So I wonder how many other Kiwis still call it soccer. Well, it was so interesting because I didn't even think about it. And then I looked back at my notes and I'd written football the yeah. entire way through. So I call it football. But oh, halfway, you do call it football. Halfway, when I was younger, I called it soccer. Yeah. I've been socialised. Well, anyway. Absolutely. So it's football, but we mean soccer. Soccer, we mean football. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you get it. You get it. So the Richmond Football Club, who is risking delegation from the English Football Premier League. So the basic premise of the show is that the owner of the club, Rebecca, hires Ted Lasso, who is an American like American football coach, mm. um, you know, different sport entirely, who knows absolutely nothing about football to sabotage the club in order to get back at her cheating ex-husband, Rupert. So that's sort of Great. the premise. Great. And from here, Ted Lasso shines. Oh, he absolutely shines. It's honestly a beautiful, beautiful show. One that Vulture calls the charming pandemic antidepressant, which and I think I agree. Is it's so the most feel good show I've ever seen. And also it was one of those ones that me and Liv heard that it was about football and we put off and put off oh. and put off watching. And then once we watched it, we both watched both seasons in about two days. I know. I felt so stupid because our animator, Isaiah, who does the Extremely Online series, which you should all go and see, <laughs> he was the first person to be like, this is really good. And he was even like, you know, it's about football, but don't be put off. But I was. So was I, completely put off. And and now it's like the best show that's ever been created. Anyway, Liv, continue. Oh, absolutely sensational. Yeah, so don't be put off by the fact that it's football if mm. you're not a sporty human being because although that is what it's about, it's not, it's not what it's about at all. Um, so there are two seasons that are completely bingeable, as we just said, and the end of season two is set up really nicely for a third, which I'm very excited about. Now, apparently Jason Sudeikis, this isn't one of my fun facts, okay. but this is a fun fact. <laughs> this is a fun fact that got knocked off the list. Yes, he wrote it for, you know, with the idea in his head that it was going to be three seasons, and mm. now, like, some of the showrunners are pushing for it to be more. Right. And, like, it's that, it's that perfect thing, like, oh, like, do we leave it at three because it's really good? At or this two- beautiful, complete yes. thing. Or yeah. do we just sort of keep going because we all want it? I know, this is the thing. I mean, if they come up with new, exciting ideas, and absolutely, but I'm sure, you know, They've got the say. I'm, yeah. I trust Jason. So do I. I do. I trust Ted. <laughs> I trust Ted. I trust Ted with my life. And it's so interesting because I've seen a lot of reviews about Ted Lasso and how it's in major parallel with Emily in Paris. But like Ted Lasso does what Emily in Paris doesn't, in a sense. So it's all about how they're both Americans that have gone and lived in Europe for a job, both fish out of water in their new setting, and then both Ted and Emily are overly friendly and somewhat clueless about like the new culture that they're in. But the crucial difference between the two characters is that France has to get used to Emily, whereas Ted gets used to England. Oh, I feel like England, I feel like the English have to get used to Ted. But he's self-aware about it, whereas Emily's sort of just like bulldozes yeah. through. She's kind of just like, 
I'm this quirky American here and like... Yeah, and you guys have to... Because I think it's like the characters around him majorly change. Whereas the characters around Ted do change as well, but it's like they all lift each other up rather than like... I don't know. I feel like Emily in Paris shows France not mm, in I a stopped good watching Emily in Paris because yeah. oh, it was just shit. Because it was shit, exactly. But it's just interesting because it's that old trope of like, you know, the American overseas. Mm-hmm. But... Ted Lasso did it amazingly. Oh, fuck yeah. I feel like when you first meet Ted, you reflect the other characters on the screen by being kind of like overwhelmed by his demeanor. Mm. Like he's quite intense. Did you find that in the first episode or did you love him straight away? I actually loved him straight away, but that is because I think I have that sort of tragic optimist sometimes characteristic. I know what you mean. Yeah. So you could like so I was empathize. Sort of like, oh my God. <laughs> I see how everyone's hating you at a press conference and you're sitting there just being like, yep. And this pun and this thing and this, and I don't really care what you're saying. Just fucking backing yourself. Yeah. But how it can be such a like, like polarizing way to be. Did you have to warm up to him? I, I think the first couple of episodes, I was like, I knew I was going to love him, mm. but I, yeah, it did take me. Yes. Mm. But I thought the whole thing was really elegant the way that we're set up for the darker themes in um, regarding Ted in season two because we do see him as this like overly bright positive person and we as the audience never truly get annoyed with his endless positivity because it was broached to us from the start by his wife so it was almost like prefaced that this isn't 100% a good thing, the way he's acting, and I think that makes him more lovable because we don't have to find that out on our own. Yeah, and I think because, I mean, like with most good TV series, we know we know why he's like that and what's gone on in his life, yes. but the people around him don't know. Yes, absolutely, and I think it made me expect that there was going to be something deeper and darker underneath this sort of, like, very mm. bright, bubbly exterior because, there I mean, there always is. There always is. Yeah, my little brother told me, he watched it before me, and he said, you will cry. And I started, I watched like two episodes, and I was like, when the fuck am I going to cry? Like, I love this guy. He's so happy. And then you you see it sort of yes. like, you cry you because cry. Like, he's feeling stuff. Like, spoiler alert, but he goes through some really fucking hard times. He goes through some fucking hard times, mainly the panic attacks that he starts experiencing because of his father's suicide when he was 16 years old. So that is sort of like... That's what I loved about season two. It's like season one like sets you up with this beautiful, happy, whatever. Mm-hmm. And like it's like supremely feel good. And then you get into season two and the tone is still so like you're feeling great after every episode, but you're like you're introduced to these actually quite heavy Yes. Quite heavy extremely shit. Extremely heavy. And I thought the way that they like from an actual like technical perspective, the way that they sort of cinematically, I don't even know if that's the right word, but like depicted his panic attacks mm-hmm. was amazing. Because it's insane like trying to make something like that tangible when it's not an explicitly tangible it. thing. Yeah. Yeah. He, like, I mean, I've never had a panic attack myself, but like you almost felt like you were having one with him. You did. The it was way uncomfortable, that it was made. but I, I love what you said and I agree that you're left somehow at the end of each episode feeling good. Yes. Which is a really good way to like broach mental health is like don't make it doom and gloom. Make it like real life. Yes, because... And, like, you can go through it and still come out feeling good. Because usually in real life you actually do. Like, I mean, like, I know that you go through the darkest of dark periods, but, like, you do end up sometimes feeling, like, okay about it, even when you are in a bad place. There is hope. Oh, yeah, absolutely. mm. And 
you know, a majority of people that have been through those dark periods do get out the other side. And I feel like, yeah, that's exactly what the show does. Especially by bringing in an actual therapist. Like, they didn't even make it a metaphor or anything. They didn't make it hard to tell what they were doing. They were like, okay, he's having panic attacks. He doesn't want to face up to it. Let's actually bring in a character who is a therapist. I know. And just show you blatantly. Yes, it was so explicit, which was perfect because that's especially when you're merging mental health and sports, you can't beat around the bush. Because, and men. Yes, oh, absolutely. Just the intersection of all those things and how they did it was just. Because people need to be shown, yeah, blatantly, as you said, is the perfect word. Yeah, because he works through this panic attack with the help of Dr. Sharon Fieldstone, which he really doesn't like at the beginning. Mm. She makes him feel very uncomfortable, and we're sort of left thinking why, because she's introduced to us in a relatively likable way. Yeah, I didn't really like her at the start because she didn't like Ted either. Like, she had a weird thing. Like, she also had some stuff she had to overcome when it came to Ted. She did. Because she didn't like him and she didn't want his help for anything. She didn't like him, but I really liked the way that she was introduced because she was so confident in her role and she came in and she's like I'm really fucking good at my job obviously she was very cold she wasn't particularly like she wasn't someone that you're like I want to be mates with her but like respect from the get-go yeah and I think like the whole show we'd been seeing Ted as he's the glory boy he's the main character that we love he can do no wrong and then when she came in she was almost like morally above him Mm -hmm. in a sense and like I thought that that was the reason that he was finding that really hard to swallow was because he was always the one picking up the team. Do you think morally above him? Like, well, I think Ted's okay, morals not, are good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, not moral, more... Just, like, more in tune with her emotions. Yeah. And, like, she is... Yeah. I don't know if she's above him. Or approaching it from a different perspective, maybe. Mm. And I think it's interesting that we take... We took her differently because I'm not surprised that I felt the same way as Ted felt meeting her because when I've gone to talk to therapists or counsellors, I am constantly sort of like, why do I need to do this? Like, what am I going to get out of this? I already know. You're already suspicious about them. Yes. And, And he was the exact same, whereas you're more like, you're a professional. I like to talk to you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, I've studied psychology. Like, it's what I kind of love to research mm. anyway. So, like, when I go into things like that, I'm almost just, like, real interested yeah. in the problem and Whereas whatever. Whereas defensive, more defensive. And yeah. I, I don't find it – I don't find it surprising at all that me and you um, – felt different ways about Ted and his therapist. I think it's because you probably mirror Ted in the sense that you're a very much like I can do it myself sort of person, Mm. which is so good in so many scenarios. But I guess when it comes to mental Mental health, health, it's not particularly helpful. Yeah, whereas I'm probably a bit more like open to to help. Yes, of course. And I really think the team, the way that the team embraced – like. I'm almost sad because I have done a bit of reading and I've, like, said, like, you know, the reason everyone loves it is because it's just this really untoxic representation of men. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, it's quite rare to see on TV. And to be honest, like, it's quite rare in real life. Like, these, I just feel like if more people can watch this and the way that the football team responded to this. I mean, especially, like, um, lad culture and, like, rugby teams and things like that. Like, it's it's just gorgeous the way that oh, it's these so, boys Oh, it's so it. gorgeous and it is so refreshing. And, like, 
yeah, it is just quite nice to have an exemplary, you know, storyline rather than showing you what you shouldn't do. Yeah. Um, because I think a lot of the time there's very like cold male characters that I think then people subconsciously start to look up to. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. whereas, like Joe from You? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Joe from You. Where, like fucking the guy from Peaky Blinders. Yeah. Like, you know, everyone, oh, he's cold as and everyone's like, oh, my God, he's the man. It's mm. like, no, he's actually a fucking terrible person. Yes. Um, That's right. Yeah. So it's really refreshing, as you say, to have these really, really beautiful, beautiful men. Um, Even Jamie Tart, like, he's got shit to work through. Oh, he's a cheeky shit. Yeah. But he's, like, good at his core. And, yeah. like, also you're shown as to why he's such a little yes. devil. So, yeah, I feel like, you know, as we're talking about, the entire show we're sort of waiting to find out why Ted is like he is. And we really get that. Um, I feel the storyline really showed to me that, like, trauma can create some elements of a person's character that's so fundamental to them in a good way. Mm. And then because, obviously, Ted is like how he is because of something tragic that happened in his past and he's sort of had to compensate for that by becoming this, mm, I'm not going to say toxic positivity, but, like, you know, it's it's bordering on that sort of, like, yeah. extreme version. Extreme, right? Yeah. Extreme. And But the thing is, like, it's so amazing that that's yes. how he is and everyone loves him for it. But I think what this, especially season two, really showed us is that, you know, it is possible to keep those beautiful bits of your trauma, mm. but really like um, untangle them from the really negative seed yeah. um, that's causing you pain. And I feel like that is an amazing way of representing that through Ted yeah. because he's left at the same person. You're not you're not going to miss all of those beautiful bits that, yeah, maybe were covering up things that you were sad about or insecure about or whatever. But he's able to live his life much better without these p- panic attacks. Yeah, and he can still be the way that he he is is. Yeah, and and he you're right. He's largely how he is because he lost his dad, and because he never felt like he was sort of enough to keep his dad there. So then he became more than enough for yes. everyone. But that's made a gorgeous man, and yes, he, yes, he can still be that while being like, okay, I don't need to harbor this guilt. Like I need to let go of this. Yeah. But I'm still yeah, me. yeah, but I'm still right. Me. And I feel like great takeaway. Like. I just feel like that was why he was so deep down, so scared of oh the God, therapist. Yeah, because yeah. he maybe he was like, well, I've actually become someone that I like. Yes. So and this I don't is my want whole you to, personality. Yeah, this is my whole personality, and he probably knows deep down that it was maybe triggered by that or mm-hmm. some of it. So yeah, I don't know. I, I just loved that storyline, oh. and I loved their relationship. I loved Doctor Fieldstone and Ted's relationship. Oh. I thought it was so cute. Nah, y'all no. are geez. The oh. writers, the actors. There's such little gems all throughout this show. Oh. It is really, really stunning. Yeah, I feel like Ted also felt like a very real person to me, even though he was such a hyperbolized version. Yeah, even though he was so extra, he was almost like a caricature. It's because it's because I believe that Jason that Jason that Jason Sudeikis. That's very hard for me to say. <laughs> no. Is actually like that. Like I can't really distinguish. No. Um, Ted Lasso from Jason Sudeikis, particularly because like. When you look at interviews with Jason Sudeikis, he just seems like... And he's got that accent and everything. He's gorgeous. I know. I know. Yeah, like, Ted literally feels like your friend. Yeah. He's like... The way he builds a community is just so... I strive to, like, walk down the street in London that I've never met anyone (laughs) and have them all be like... 
What do they call them? It's hey wanker. Hey wanker. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> hey yeah. wanker. I mean, so good. don't greet me with that. But <laughs> okay, love. Who are we talking about next? So we're going to talk about Nathan next. Yeah. Okay. It's funny that you're calling him Nathan because no one ever calls him Nathan. I know. It's probably because I was doing research and they all call him Nathan. <laughs> Nate. Coach Nate. Nate. Coach Nate. We're talking yes, about Coach Nate. Little sleazeball. Sleazeball. But I found him probably the most interesting of the characters. Oh, okay. Like, I really think that he was sort of a masterstroke in the whole. He was amazing. Yeah, he, he was amazing. Because so, when we meet Nathan, he's the team's kit man. He's got very low self-esteem and confidence. Like, mm. he... Surprised when people remember his name. Absolutely, absolutely. But... In meeting Ted, who really believes in him, he then starts to blossom and then gets promoted to coach towards the end of the first season. But we see a real arc with Nathan and his character development um, because it, like, sort of sneaks up on you. You know, he, like, gets more and more confident, more and more Mm. confident. He sort of peaks probably end of first season. He does that excellent roast of all the players. He does the excellent roast. You see that he's actually got such a big brain on his shoulders. Mm -hmm. Like, he knows exactly what's going on. He's very fucking in tune because he's probably spent all of his life in the corner just watching everyone. But then Roy comes on as the other coach, and I think from there it just sort of all goes downhill for Nate. Were you surprised how many coaches they kept having? Yes. Sorry, but that was one of my, like, question marks. I was like... Bro, now you're up to four coaches. What if you all have disagreeing opinions? Literally. And then somehow Ted is still just like the main one. And even though he has nothing, he knows nothing about football. With Nate, his demise kind of really sneaks up on you unless you're taking attention of, like, unless you're paying attention to him, which I feel is the whole point Mm. of his character. So Nathan goes from having absolutely no attention to the most attention he's probably ever had in his life by both Ted and us as the viewer. Mm. And then when he does get forgotten again, um, it sort of fuels him to sell that story about Ted's anxiety to the press, which was very fucking evil. And then right at the end of the second season, we see that he's gone to the football dark side. He's gone to Rupert's new club, West Ham United, Mm. which was an amazing way to finish. I know. Now, it's a really interesting way that you've said... He got forgotten again because I don't think he actually got forgotten again. I just think he got a bit too, like, he started seeing himself as the main character and instead of working as a team, like, no one forgot about him. He chose to see it that way. Ted still used his plays. He still credited him with his plays. Nate just felt like he was getting forgotten because he got, I think he got a little bit too, like, big for his boots. I definitely feel like... That's a valid point. I feel like he very much became the villain and like he got obsessed with attention because he'd never had it before. Obviously, he went onto social media and they were saying mm. all of this nice shit about him. And yet he definitely got I think what we saw there was an ego starting to form. Mm. Like we literally saw how someone feels insecure and then they get a little bit of like, oh, this is what I could be like. And then they sort of he started tearing other people down to make himself feel better, mm. which was really awful. But I do think there were little bits where like people were Forgetting about him a little bit, I think there was the example of Ted um, laughing when he mentioned that he was a big dog, you know, when he was like, oh, I can't remember what character it was, but he said, oh, he needs a real big dog to go talk to him. And then Nate was like, oh, I'll go. And then Ted started laughing, like as though like, who do you think Mm. you are sort of thing. And then there was um, when he kissed Keely and Roy didn't even give a fuck because he didn't even see him as any sort of threat. I think there were a lot of really subtle things that happened 
to like oh you can see why he felt that way I also just think though he became quite narcissistic and seeing himself as the center of all these things that he wasn't actually like they were a team and because he like was starting to feel this bit of attention things that would have been fine with other people Nate was no longer like he was taking it all very personally but I think that that's what happens when someone has been mistreated before in their past like they do take things more personally than other people because they just don't have a good foundation like he the reason that people didn't take him seriously was because he never took himself seriously Mm. and he still didn't take himself seriously even though he was trying to like build this ego that he did he was trying to like fake it till he made it sort of thing and then Mm. he was getting frustrated when people weren't seeing what he saw or he thought he was seeing in himself yeah but he was still putting that at the fault of other people oh yeah definitely it wasn't like Ted, I mean, we saw it when he said at the very end, Ted, you didn't even put up the photo that I gave you. Well, it was actually on Ted's um, dresser at home in front of the photo of Ted and his kids. So I think Nate just started like everyone else wasn't really actively trying to make him feel that way. He just really centred himself after he got that attention. Oh, absolutely. And I think that that's like the point of his character is Mm. that he's so three-dimensional because we can see exactly where he's come from. And where he's gone and then sort of his downfall. Yeah, exactly. Because you don't, when you first meet him and he's so unassuming and like amazed that Ted even remembered his name, like you never think he was going to become the villain. But I think usually we meet the villain when they've already had that shit in their past that's made them feel so small and insignificant. Mm. And then they do get narcissistic because of it, because you get centered on yourself as to like, why aren't people seeing me how I want to be seen and then they like focus in on it and yeah like it's 100% their fault but it's like stemming from that and I think it's so cool that they made us see that entire journey Mm. you know I noticed his hair going gray every single episode and that was one of my big questions was like why is no one in this speaking about it and I like googled it like Nate's hair and like there was a few articles that were like oh like this was one of their subtle ways of like Nate changing and I really wondered why they hadn't why no one on the team had like commented on it, and I was like, "Oh, it's because like they don't care enough yes. about him to yeah. comment." That's on it. exactly like, like I thought that that was so clever, like I, having yeah. like a tangible thing. Extremely obviously, tangible. Something was wrong with him, or like not obviously that going grey is wrong, but like there was something he was stressed or whatever, yeah. and it was showing physically, and yet yeah, no one was. Mm. no one was even batting an eyelid. And I think that that was a thing, like, if you as a viewer didn't notice it and then right at the end and you thought, who was this grey-haired person, then you kind of failed the test because you weren't noticing him either. It's such an interesting choice. It's so smart. Yeah. Because I remember at the end, like, obviously, when you just see the grey hair for a second, you're like, who's that? And then you're like, well, actually, we've been watching Nate go grey. Yes. Oh, my God, he's such a snake. So, so, like, he is such a snake. He is such a snake, but I just, I do feel a lot of, like, I don't know. I feel, I feel bad for him still. Mm, I can, yeah, I, I don't feel entirely bad for him because like, I, I just, I felt more bad for Ted at the end when Ted actually like hadn't done anything wrong. Maybe the other, like he didn't forget about him. It was like, we're all part of a team and we're all coaches. And yes, because of Nate's like upbringing and sort of wallflower-esque like way of growing up, he saw it as all wrong. But like, did he ever go and see the therapist? No, exactly. And this is the thing. I think he was a prime example of someone handling everything in the wrong way, Mm. getting destructive when things weren't going his Mm. way rather than... And blaming it on others instead of being like... Instead of working internally, right? Mm. Yeah, exactly. Like, because that's what happens. Like... 
Yeah. I just thought That's it was interesting. Really, I only really just clever. thought about that, about mm-hmm. him not going to see the therapist. The therapist. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, so that was Nate. Um, Keely, Jamie, and Roy is the next sort of storyline that we're going to go into just a little bit. Um, so Keely starts off with the pretty footballer, Jamie. 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 I've broken my nose singing on the podcast. Yeah. Sorry, whoever that was. You've been graced with Lucy's vocals once again. You wait till you hear Denny Rojas's one. Oh yeah, na 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 na. Danny Rojas. They didn't have to wait very long, did they, Lucy? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> what they said, I can't stop. Okay, so Keely starts off with Jamie. He's a bit of a selfish asshole. So then she moves on to Roy Kent, who is this like very gruff, um, kind of angry man, but very soft on the inside. I saw a tweet that was like, Roy Kent is the kind of guy who's kind, but he's not nice. And I was just like, yes. Yes. Like he's a very good person, but he's not going to sugarcoat anything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, and he's like a um like crowd favorite, like hands down. He is like everyone's obsessed with Roy. Oh my god, him on the like football commentary show, oh. just fucking hilarious. Oh, like I know the most unapologetic. I mean, I know he's not real, but I know. He feels Do you real know mean. all the footballers actually one time pranked a journalist and came out of a um they were all there together, all the actors watching a game, and they came out and they did an interview with a journalist and they pretended they were all their characters, like in real life. I don't know what triggered me to bring this up, but like the actors pretended they were their characters outside of football matches. A fucking good video. Oh my god, that's hilarious. Did that not make your ten fun facts? No. They must be very good facts if you've got these left over. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Did it? No, it didn't make my ten fun facts. (laughs) So yeah, I think Roy was definitely one of our favourites, Luz. So was Keely. Fuck, she was so cool. Okay, Keely's relationship with Everyone, Everyone was one of my favourite parts. She's just a ray of sunshine. She was fucking unapologetically herself as well, but in a sort of like much more people-pleasy way than Roy. But she was just like wanted everyone to feel really good around her. Like her and Rebecca's relationship was beautiful. Oh, my God. She just got along with everyone. Her and Nate's relationship, like, I know. oh, she was a gem just of a human. Just so kind, never made anyone feel stupid, never made anyone feel bad about themselves. Um, and I love that she went for Roy. Did you see that happening straight from the mm. get-go? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's that scene where he's, like, topless in the car park and then yep. she, like, wolf whistles at him. Yep. Yeah. A- yeah, and then you can tell that he's sort of wanting to do something, but he's Roy Kent, so yes. he was sort of just a bit cool. Yes, Or exactly. shy or nervous. She's yeah. the one thing. And I guess he, she was with Jamie at the start. Now, their ending's interesting. Okay, I wanted to talk about this with you. Mm. I was a bit sad about it, but, like, I don't know. It made me feel quite uncertain for their future. Oh, yeah. I thought they were going to break up the entire time. Yeah, well, she's turned into a girl boss, like, literally. And so, obviously, she he books them a holiday to go overseas and she tells him to do it and she needs to stay and work. Yeah. And I don't know. And, and then you just assume that, yeah, they... Yeah, he either goes on holiday and then comes back and they'll find. I mean, we'll find out in season three, but it doesn't sort of no, feel it doesn't good. bode well for them. And also those pictures when she was in the magazine and they didn't pick any of the ones with her and Roy because obviously she didn't look as comfortable. I know with him as she did on her own, which like I, again, really good writing. Like that's a really good subtle indicator, right? Yes. Of a, 
potentially collapsing relationship. And of, like, the growth of Keely. Yeah. Like, no, comfortable on her own is yes. the epitome of Keely now. Yeah, absolutely. And I wonder whether... I don't know what's in store for them Neither because I. I love them together. No, Sam, I actually really don't want them to break up. I know, but, you know, they've got a little bit of... Oh, I can't believe they're not real. <laughs> I can't believe they're not real. At least Ted's real with real. Jason. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We should have we should have got him on. We I know. We Ted a call. And then the last storyline we're going to go into is Rebecca and Rupert. So Rebecca is, like, the big boss lady of the football club and she's the one that, t- that hired Ted. So... Rebecca's played by um, the mum from Sex Edu- the mum from Jackson and Sex Education. Oh yes, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. She is. The, she's the fit amazing. Mom. She's so fit. Yes, yes. I know. I've got some fun facts about her that I'm just biting my tongue. Like I've got all these facts that I've been holding on to this whole thing. Oh my god! Well, her singing. Yeah, I know. Sensational. Fucking incredible. It was amazing. And I watched some interviews and she was singing in the interviews. She was just oh, like... Oh, so she's allowed to sing on mic? Yeah. <laughs> she's allowed to sing in her interview. I guess when you've been in the West End, it's I quite... mean, true. Oh, well, there goes my fact. Oh, shit. Fact number something was that the, she was actually singing in all the episodes because she's fucking amazing and she came from the West End. And when she did her Emmy speech, she, she said something like... Um, this is why, like, showrunners should hire people from the West End. Like, Aww. we can also do TV. And she was, like, crying and she's amazing. So, Oh, oh that's amazing. so cute. Love her. Oh, my God. Anyway, more about um, Rebecca. Yes. So Rebecca goes through a very personal journey throughout the show. She is just obsessed with her ex-husband, Rupert, at the start. And then throughout, you know, she gets this new family, which is the football club, which ironically is the thing that she's trying to destroy. Um, but she was a real ice queen and like, then we see this beautiful, sensitive side of her that's also really brought out by her best friend, Sassy, um, and her daughter, Nora, which I thought was a really cute storyline. Cause when we first met Sassy, I thought like, are we meant to not like her? Cause she's just leeching off of Rebecca, yes. but then you do like her. But then her, you like, realize you do like her. Yeah. And she sleeps with Ted and he calls her Sassy Smurf. Yes. Oh, oh my God. No. But then there's that scene when they're in the restaurant and like, um, Rebecca goes up to pay and then she says to Keely, you know, that's not Rebecca. Like, yes, yes. If you like this woman, you're going to fucking love, love Rebecca. Rebecca. Yeah. And I thought, again, great writing. Yeah. That was really, really beautiful. Um, so another thing that happens with Rebecca is that she's on the app Banter with no E. Banter. <laughs> Banter. Um, and she's messaging this anonymous guy. Who did you think it was? I thought it was Ted at the start. I thought it was Ted okay, too. Good. I, think, I thought it was Ted for quite a while. Yeah, so did I. Well, until you see Sam with is it Sam? Yeah, Sam. Until you see Sam with the app. Yeah. Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I did not pick that it was Sam. Nor did I. At all. And like I think there was one scene where Rebecca and Ted were walking down the hallway together, both texting on their phones or something. Yes. And like it was obviously set up. Mm. He was the red herring. Mm. But I, the whole time I was like, no, no, no. Like mm. that can't happen. Like that's not that's not no, the vibe. It's not quite right. No. Apparently, this is not even a fun fact, but the actress Hannah, who plays Rebecca, had to only focus on like what Rebecca would focus on so that she as a character didn't fall in love with Ted. She was like, she actively in her acting had to only look at Rebecca's parts of like the script and the life that Rebecca lives so that because it would be so easy to fall in love with Ted. Oh my and god! So absolutely, because like, even she didn't when her best friend was sleeping with him, like yes. you know, there's no jealousy. And I thought that was interesting. That's Another so thing that didn't make the fun back. Oh, but you yeah, can get it anyway. Holy shit! These are just the <laughs> bar is getting higher and higher. <laughs> <laughs> this is so funny. Um, so yeah, she then ends up like getting with Sam. 
I had to confront some things here. So did I. So did I. I don't know why I felt this. I found this, like, just, it just wasn't quite right. Well, I think the main thing for me was the power imbalance. Mm. Because if this was, like, the other way round, if there yeah. was the head honcho man sleeping with the young girl. 21. 21-year-old. Like, I know that it is a different situation, but, like, she is still his boss. She mm-hmm. has so much power. Like, she was deciding whether he was staying with the club or, like, you know. Yeah. It's like... I know. That, that's why it was unsettling. I mean, yeah. also there was like a quite a big age gap. It was just, and, and I think it was probably meant to be unsettling and then you could see that like, in the end, Sam was like, I am staying with the club, but I'm doing it for me. Like he was like, I'm, I've not been swept up in this, whereas it would have been easy to just write that. And I actually read an article that was saying, I think it was for season for season three being like, Rebecca's going to find her soulmate, but it's not Sam. Oh, okay. So a bit of a spoiler, but I mean, rumor, oh. rumor, 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 rumor has rumor, it. Rumor. Well, yeah, I kind of assumed that because her and Sam felt done. Oh, no, me. they felt so mm. done. And like, I think it was very much like he brought her confidence back. He yeah. was this lovely, lovely, yes. beautiful, amazing guy. Mm. Um, and I think it was like perfect for her in that space and time and probably good for him. Bit yeah. Ego boost. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, definitely not for the long haul. No, no, no. Um, so yeah, that's basically my rundown of the show. Um, God, well, if you good. look, if you haven't seen the show, you actually don't need to. By this point. <laughs> okay, Liv, do you have any particular favorite parts? This isn't a favorite part of mine, but I want to mention it. Coach Beard's episode. I'm I hated a- it. Yeah, Lucy hated it. I didn't mind it. I want to know what people thought because yeah. Email me, email us. Yes. About what you thought about um, Coach Beard's episode. If there's any like film nuts out there, like yeah. was it just too highbrow for us to sort of. It was definitely too highbrow for me. Yeah. And I just was like, oh. Like, I like that he's getting his limelight, but I just want to see Ted. Yeah. I th- but I think he was definitely like a favorite part as a character mm. for me. Like, he. Because we haven't mentioned him yet. He was funny. He's so funny. And like, his lines were so fucking great. And it shows how much value a character can add when they don't even talk very much you and know? he moved across the world with ted like yeah. he's a solid oh fuck yeah he's a solid i think for me any part that had trent crim from the independent oh, in it fantastic. i loved i got emotional that first profile that trent crim writes on ted that's meant to be like a damning profile and it's the most gorgeous thing ever like i I love that. And then at the end, I mean, I've seen a lot of journalists be like, because at the end, Trent Crim leaks his source about who told him to write the piece about Ted's panic attack. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert, we've already talked about it. It's Nate. And I've seen a lot of journalists being like, they shouldn't have done that because actually a journalist would not do that. Right, interesting. Um, but Trent Crim, the independent. Just, but he was leaving the career. Oh. He was all cards on the table. Well, because he was fired for leaking his source. Yeah, but, but he knew that would be a consequence of it, didn't yeah. he? Like, he was sort of over it by then. Mm. Anyway, I don't think a journalist should, or I wouldn't recommend any budding journalists listening to this to take Trent Crim's thing quite as literally as that, but he's amazing. Um, The Diamond Dogs. The oh, Diamond yeah. Dogs was one of my favourite parts. Loved. Anytime they'd meet up, I just felt like, oh, my God. And then when Roy goes, he joins the Diamond Dogs, and at the end he's like, so you didn't give me any answers. Do you just, like, catch up to talk about this? And then, like, that's it. And they're like, yeah, pretty much. It's like, yeah. So cute. You don't need answers. Fucking fantastic. Oh, one of my favourite bits, actually, was when 
Phoebe had really bad breath and they were going around to all the houses. Oh my God. Oh no. Like Roy was just so cute and I loved that it was a bit of love actually. It um, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It felt love actually. No, yeah, didn't it? it definitely would have been. Um but I just, oh, my God, he just really shone. Like, that yeah. was so clever again, putting in that little girl for him because, yes. like, oh. the contrast between those two characters and their relationship was just so cute. Oh, I love, We've honestly, we've probably talked about every single thing because we love yeah. it all. Also, Ted winning the dark game against Rupert. Oh, yes, forgot about that. And then he goes at the end like, oh, I forgot, or at the, before he starts playing, forgot I was left-handed or something. And, like, I don't know, they fucking, it's just so, so good. Also, the Christmas episode where all the out-of-town um, sports people go to Higgins' house. Yes. Oh. Yes, no, that's, like, so wholesome, and they're playing Nerf guns with yes, the boys. it's just so cute. Oh. Oh, and then the last five moment that I can recall off the top of my head is when they're learning the dance to sync when they're learning the bye-bye-bye dance. Yes. And it's just fucking, it's just so wholesome. Yes, no, fucking fantastic. Higgins is a great character and I love when he goes around the table and he tells exactly where everyone's from I like know. 20 oh, different people like he cares yeah and that but where he goes ulti and he gets the goatee and, he yeah, and he's playing with jello <laughs> um okay I'm getting into my 10 fun facts because I'm aware we've been talking for a lifetime but it's all been great content because it's Ted first one Liv do you remember the part where Ted hits his head on the door on the way out of Rebecca's office yes. oh my god so it's one of the like funniest parts that was an accident. He wasn't meant to hit his head. He cut his head and ended up having to get the wound glued shut because he was bleeding so much. So actually, Rebecca's um, reaction there is real because he, like, jumps out, and you should watch this now knowing that it's fucking real, and he, like, whacks his head on the door. That's very – and just even more evidence that Jason is Ted. Jason is Ted. Ted Lasso first appeared in an NBC sports commercial way back in 2012, being the exact same character, played by Jason Sudeikis, and they did it the next year too with NBC. So he was basically in an advert, being Ted Lasso. Yeah, I watched these. Yeah, same. And same, it's, same. It's, it's the same, but it's funny because they're nowhere near as good. Not like the comedy, obviously, like much lower budget, blah, 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 blah. But, the, like, the timing, just, like, he's almost there. But you see the development from there oh. to now is sensational. And they've had so long to get it right. Yes. So, Sudeikis actually credits Olivia Wilde, his ex-wife, mm. who he also has children with, who's now dating Harry Styles. I'm sure we're all aware. How did she get so lucky? She must be fucking cool. Actually, yep. she directed Book Smart, so she is fucking so cool. She is fucking cool. Um, he credits her with the idea of turning those promotional ads into a very successful successful TV show. Really? So she egged him to do this. That's amazing. And he had not aged. I know. He had not like I know. 10 years. I know. Another actually fun fact that I haven't got written down, but he's a massive sneakerhead. Like he's obsessed with sneakers oh. and he does one of those like YouTube videos where he goes sneaker shopping with Complex or someone. Oh yeah. And then I um was watching something with Rebecca in it and she had cool sneakers on and people were commenting like, oh my God, Jason Sudeikis has rubbed off on you. Like, That's not Rebecca so... Hannah, but actually yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, Interchangeable. Interchangeable at this point. Um, Roy Brett Goldstein was initially hired just as a writer and then he was just perfect for the role of Roy. That's amazing. I know. And his voice, I don't know if you guys don't know, but it isn't actually that way. It's yes. not actually deep like that. Yes, I figured this out, obviously, when I was watching some interviews. <laughs> he sounded completely different. He's really, really fucking smiley. Yeah, he's um, gorgeous. He also won an Emmy because, yes. like, 
why wouldn't he? He's amazing. Now, this one is interesting. Both Nick Muhammad, who plays Nate, and Phil Dunster, who plays Jamie Tart, auditioned for the role of Higgins. Sorry, but how did Jamie Tart? Like, I can, I can see, I can see Nick Muhammad. No, I can see Nate as Higgins, like you know, in a different yeah, way, like, but like yes. kind of. Jamie, like what Jamie was the Tart guy is thinking? No Higgins. No, he obviously just didn't back himself enough. <laughs> Oh, so next one, you know Ted's viral dance that they show at the very start when they're like, Ted Lasso, who you might know for being a football coach, but you might know from this dance. Ingrained in my memory, yes. Yes, is actually a dance that Jason does. He's done it multiple times in skits on SNL. He's done it on Ellen. It's like his go-to dance. It's why he's so good at it. It's kind of like shuffling and like moving your arms. Very cute. Ted Lasso also scored a whopping 20 nominations for its first season, Emmy nominations, and that broke the previous record of 19 Emmy nominations set by Glee in 2011. So honestly, it's like being well fucking accredited. This one will be interesting for you, Liv, as if the rest haven't been. Marcus Mumford, the lead singer of Mumford & Sons, met Jason Sudeikis in 2012 when his band performed on SNL. Then the two remained friends. And then Jason asked Marcus Mumford to basically compose all the music for Ted Lasso. No way. And so alongside another musician called Tom Howe, Mumford composed the entire score for the series, including, like, the theme song. Like That's insane. I know. From Mumford and Sons. What a cool gig. Like, no wonder it fucking sounds so amazing. Like, that's yeah. just a star star. It's always a job that I'm just like, I forget that exists. Like, of course people have to do that. But. Mm-hmm. I know. God. And now Star Studded Crew. Star Studded <laughs> yeah. Crew. And and it shows. So that is that rounds up the fun facts. That rounds up Ted Lasso. Liv, I have one more question to ask you, and that is what is on your radar? What is on my radar? I actually have two things on my radar at the moment. Nice. Um both films that are coming out this month. Okay. Um so the first one is Spencer. Which is Diana. Cri- Diana. So Kristen Stewart is Diana Spencer. I'm really, really interested in this. I actually haven't finished watching the fourth season of The Crown. I've watched most of it, which I really enjoyed. But um, my mum fucking loves the Royals. She's very English, and it's sort of rubbed off on me. So um, I'm really excited just to see Kristen. Kristen. Stewart. Yeah. Apparently, she's amazing. amazing. Um, and then the second one is Ho- House of Gucci. Yes, I really want to see this. Yes. Adam Driver, Lady Gaga. Adam Driver, Lady Gaga, Jared Leto, Al Pacino. Mm, wow. Fucking star-studded. So for those of you who don't know, it's a film that's based on the Italian fashion house Gucci mm-hmm. or the House of Gucci um, and the family that's behind it. So apparently it's all about the murder of the grandson mm. of the founder of Gucci, okay. um, which is like apparently a well-known drama but yeah, it looks really good. Like, I actually knew nothing about it except for the star-studded cast. I'm yeah, really so I think that. that Lady Gaga plays the main character and her husband is Adam Driver, who I'm guessing gets murdered. I don't think that's a spoiler. It's sort of in every like blurb mm, about okay. the movie. She looks amazing in it. Um, Lucy, anything on your radar? Yes, I also I have a few things. Um, one. Well, yeah, a few, one quite highbrow and two, one in the middle and one kind of lowbrow. So 
The highbrow one is a new film starring Paul Meskel, who is Connell from Normal People and possible boyfriend of Phoebe Bridges. Not confirmed, but kind of confirmed. <laughs> Just to chuck that in there. And Josh O'Connor from The Crown. They are starring in a new gay romance film called The History of Sound, which follows two young men in World War I who make it their mission to document the lives and voices and music of Americans across the US during the war. And they fall in love on the journey. Now, oh I am obsessed with Call Me By Your Name. Yeah. So if this is anything like in that genre, which it sounds sort of like it will be, I think I think it's going to be a winner. And Connell, like Paul Meskel. Also, during my like research for this episode, read that Shia LaBeouf was meant to play Army Hammer's role in Call Me By Your Name. Right. I know, but he didn't get it because he didn't seem intellectual enough. Well, both relatively problematic people. But, yeah, I mean, interesting. Wouldn't have been the same film. Oh, God, no. Um, my next thing is the release of Taylor Swift's Red, her recording. Yes. Now, don't you worry. Me and Liv are going to do an episode of Culture Vulture about the fact that she's having to re-record these. Why? What's gone on? Like, it's going to be amazing. And then my last thing on my radar is Jake Paul is fighting Tommy Fury in a boxing match on December 18th. Oh, my God. I've never been into boxing. I've never been into, like, Jake Paul or anything. Have you watched them before? Box? Yeah. No? So I kind of got obsessed with Molly May back Mm. when I was fucking bored in lockdown. And then... You know, she was always talking about Tommy and I like I love Tommy on Love Island and I was like, Oh, I'm really interested to go and like watch a video of him fighting. Mm. Um, so I watched him fight. Um, and it's just so fucking brutal. But yeah. I think he's pretty good. And I think He should knock Jake Paul's lights out because Jake Paul is literally the worst human of all time. But with that, I think we should round out this episode. Obviously, huge thank you to Neon. You guys should definitely go and sign up to Neon because, like, they get HBO shows. They have, like Liv said before, Promising Young Woman. You should all start watching Succession. They let us do this for a job. We need to give a big thank you to Tia here from the Spinoff Podcast Network who produced this wonderful episode. We absolutely do. And he is sitting outside now because he did want to miss all of the spoilers. So thank God we broached it. And last of all, come and sign up to the Daily Newsletter and give us all your feedback. We will be in your ears sooner than next week with an interview with Benny. So that'll be fun. So excited to talk to Benny. We cannot wait. See you next week, everyone. Bye.